Welcome to Cybercast 2.0. I'm your host, James Mersel. Today, we travel to the headquarters of the Department of Health and Human Services to talk with the HHS CISO, Janet Vogel, and the HHS Deputy CISO, Christopher Baller. Ransomware is a rapidly evolving threat, and it can be a scary one, especially when you consider that a ransomware attack on a hospital can quite literally be a life-or-death scenario. Janet, Chris, and I talk about HHS's efforts to make cybersecurity proactive, remaining ahead of ransomware and other threats. We also discuss HHS's information-sharing efforts with hospitals and healthcare organizations through HC3, with its counterparts at Veterans Affairs and the Defense Health Agency, and throughout government to ensure everyone can respond to anomalies and threats as quickly as possible. We talk about the IT workforce, what qualities an ideal cybersecurity professional should have, and what strategies HHS is pursuing to close the cybersecurity workforce gap. Finally, we discuss emerging trends in cybersecurity, keeping in mind that while topics like zero trust and AI are all the rage these days, they are based on crucial fundamentals of cybersecurity, like ensuring everyone in your agency understands their role in security and how that relates to your agency's mission, and finding strong data sets for machine learning to develop the right algorithms for AI. Thank you for joining us, Janet and Chris. Let's get started. So what are your current priorities as CISO and Deputy CISO for HHS, and what challenges do you face in this role? So the areas that we're currently focusing on are cloud and cloud security, emerging technologies and how we apply those, especially applying those in cybersecurity areas, the workforce and our development and enhancement of skills and our employees, and then also customer service is very important and at the forefront all the way across HHS right now. It's great to hear. So how is HHS approaching security and its modernization efforts? So cybersecurity has been moved by the advances in technology very rapidly recently. Some of the areas that we're looking at for the future are enhancing our neural networks and machine learning capabilities. We'd like to do that to help us analyze our threat intelligence data so that we can look forward and be more predictive and move into more of a proactive role with cybersecurity. That's embedded in our IT capabilities, and we're working on applying that right now. As soon as we get some more data back on our first steps, we'll be able to develop a more definite picture for how we're going to apply that in the future. Right. We're also really trying to focus on detecting where the risk actually is. I think tools and technologies like the Continuous Diagnostics and Mitigation Program from DHS have allowed us to deploy a lot of tools and get a less notional sense of where our risk is and a more accurate, actual sense of where the risk is. In a department the size of this with 87,000 people and 12 different operating divisions, being able to really focus skills, resources, talent on where we know there is actual risk is really key. So, Janet, I wanted to ask a little bit more. You mentioned you know, the importance of taking a proactive approach to cybersecurity. I know that HHS also closely coordinates with the healthcare centers and hospitals and medical groups across the nation. Could you tell us a little bit more about the Health Sector Cybersecurity Coordination Center, or HC3, and how you're working with the private sector to ensure healthcare providers are aware of cybersecurity challenges? Certainly. We are blessed with over 67 laws and regulations that tell us wow. what to do with cybersecurity. And so we had in the past more of a compliance focus. We still have that compliance focus. But part of what our agency as the sector-specific agency for healthcare, 
our role as the cybersecurity experts is to help in that preparedness and response for any emergency. And to do that, we have been able to reach out to the healthcare and public healthcare sector and provide information to them that they use in their day-to-day cybersecurity operations. So what we have to do is translate that threat intelligence information into usable and applicable information. We have to translate that into plain English that anybody can use. So our HC3 organization helps with that. They've provided over a 100 documents that have gone out, white papers on different topics that we've shared with Department of Homeland Security and all across the federal agency. But we also have, under the Cybersecurity Act, a section called 405D, where we actually have a partnership with the private sector. And we run a a program that produces information based on that stakeholder input that is very healthcare-oriented and also in their language, how they can do it. We focus on the small and mid-size agencies, although we have information for all of them, hospitals, private practitioners, all the way up to huge healthcare organizations. And we meet with them on a quarterly basis. They have subcommittees that meet so that our products are very useful to them and incorporates all of their input. Right. And those products typically have a technical aspect to them so that the hands-on keyboards folks, you know, can really do something with that information, but a less technical side. I think that translation point that you talked about is really important because we know that there are large healthcare providers and they have IT shops and they have lots of really smart cybersecurity people who can, you know, make whatever changes to the network or install patches, all that kind of good stuff. But the smalls and the the medium size organizations don't necessarily have that kind of expertise in-house. So we try to, you know, translate what we're seeing from a threat perspective into something that's meaningful and actionable for the whole myriad of stakeholders out there. Right. We do focus on the small and medium size because the statistics have shown they are often more susceptible to ransomware attacks. So we really want to apply a lot of information there where we'll get a return and they see the benefit. That's great to hear. I know we were talking before the podcast aired. We had uh, Servio Medina on our podcast from Defense Health Agency back in October, and he was stressing the importance of making making cybersecurity more operationally meaningful to the healthcare provider and making sure it's in language they understand. And more importantly, why, when their business is primarily saving lives, why they need to take time to do cybersecurity, not as a separate function, but as part of their mission. So it's great to hear that you're enforcing that. Well, and that's that's an important point, too, because you talk about saving lives. We are seeing, you know, ransomware attacks, for instance, that shut down hospitals. So this threat is actually being fully realized to deny patient care. And we're seeing that, especially in the small and and mid-sized organizations. So it's not only important to think about cybersecurity and do cybersecurity, it's important to realize that it does get in the way of these folks meeting mission and providing patient care. So what would you say is unique about the HHS compared to other federal agencies in terms of its cybersecurity opportunities and cybersecurity challenges? At HHS, we have a unique position in that with healthcare, it affects everyone. And we protect the healthcare information 
for one in three Americans. So number one, we have a huge amount of data, sensitive data also, about individuals, their health care, their lives. We also have mission reasons here, mission-oriented programs that are very sensitive. So we have to be on alert on 24-7, 365 basis so that we can see, detect, and respond as quickly as possible. So if we detect a problem, the faster we can react to it, the better. We are able to shut down any type of attack that comes. And if we do that very quickly, it could mean that data is protected, healthcare is provided, and lives are on the line in a lot of these cases. So that is one area. We also have a partnership with other federal agencies. So we share information, we share attack information, and that helps us come together as a team across a federal government. So sometimes we think we are very unique and we have certain aspects to protect that are different, but in some ways we're also sharing those needs with other federal agencies and working together is the way that we can be on the same team and make sure that we work together and weave that fabric of security even tighter. Yeah, I think at one point I had like three separate credit monitoring programs set up for me because of all the data breaches and, you know, credit card numbers getting stolen, all that kind of fun stuff. I think about HHS and credit card information being stolen is is a nuisance and that can be monitored, but I think there's nothing more foundational than the information about your health. You know, I think when we all walk into this building every day, that's what we're really committed to because to us, I think there's nothing more important than protecting what is very, very sensitive and very, very personal information. I'd say you're not alone on the uh, credit monitoring front. I have a close friend who I think this was about a year ago had his credit card stolen. Thankfully, the bank caught it, sent him a new one. And then while it was still in transit, somehow that number got hacked too. And like, we're going to send you a second one. Please, as soon as you get the first one, you know, Cut it up, throw it away. I think it's key that you're mentioning the importance of, of healthcare and, and how that is the mission. So thinking about data and Janet, as you said, HHS does manage the data for one in three Americans when it comes to healthcare. Thinking about patient privacy as well. How are you integrating privacy with security and why is that important to you? I think privacy, I mean, just from a compliance perspective, privacy has been baked in with security for a long period of time. If you look through the process that a system has to go through to prove that it's secure, to be approved to operate within our environment and other federal environments, it's not just cybersecurity that's looked at. You know, there are privacy elements that are considered there, too, even in figuring out what the overall sensitivity of the system is. So it's always those two things have always been put together to a certain extent. Within the department, we have a privacy program that is very well aligned with cybersecurity. We're talking about data. There are privacy elements to data and cybersecurity elements to data and how we protect them. So we tend to do that together very collaboratively. Speaking about collaboration, I think even just yesterday, I was hearing someone from the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency, especially uh, communications, talking about the importance of data sharing, both proactively when you identify a new threat and I'd say a little more reactively when a breach has happened. You mentioned how you're sharing information with other agencies. What strategies are you pursuing in that regard and which ones have been especially successful for you? We have an arrangement with other federal agencies such as Veterans Administration and Defense Healthcare that we actually sit together in a watch room 
and share information on a real-time basis. That has helped us be able to say, we're seeing anomalous behavior over here. Are you seeing it over there? Immediately, we get a response. We share. We look at it together. Sometimes it's unique. Sometimes it's not, and it's common to everyone. That automatically triggers the next step in our operations procedures. Who do we notify? You know, what is it that we're seeing? What actions do we need to take? So in our data sharing, we also report through Department of Homeland Security incidents as they're happening. What we've worked out is an informal call tree that we alert other federal agencies and those interested parties with what we're seeing. We often refer activities to the Office of the Inspectors General and to the FBI so that they can take the further action on it. We, we find information, we share it, confirm it, and if it is something that needs law enforcement involvement, they take it over from there. So there, in an ongoing basis, usually several activities that are going on that once it's in their hands, we aren't able to really talk about it in ongoing investigations. However, through our partnership, last year we were able to contribute to the eventual arrest and prosecution of a hacker that was causing trouble across multiple federal, state, and local agencies. So that's our reward, so to speak, in that we were able to help identify a problem, get it stopped, and then that data was able to be shared with the prosecuting arm of the government. So moving on to workforce, a a perennial issue for cybersecurity professionals, both in the public sector and the private sector. What do you think is the most important quality or skill to have working in federal IT? And what is HHS doing to increase hiring and retention of IT professionals? So one of the major qualifications are someone who is actively engaged and excited to solve problems and put the pieces of a puzzle together so that we know what's going on. That means we have to rely on a lot of technical skills and a lot of experience. And to get there, anybody could become a cybersecurity expert. They just have to have that interest and that spark that makes them want to learn. The pressure that IT, the rapid evolution of IT has put on the personnel is not only do we have to keep our skills, we have to improve them. We have to continually learn what's the latest thing, what's the latest hack, what's the latest solution, and we have to be on our toes to constantly learn. So someone who is actively engaged and excited about learning, cybersecurity would be a great place to be. We also try and rotate people around, and that gives them a different perspective of cybersecurity. It's not just the technical answer. It's what does it mean to the people and the business that they're conducting? How do we integrate this with accomplishing their mission? How does cybersecurity support that and not get in the way? So being sensitive to our customers and stakeholders is very important. We are looking at additional training. We provide training for cybersecurity credentials certifications. And we also 
encourage our people to get involved in related topics, to speak, to attend, and to share. Those are really the important things that a person would need to bring. And we really do find, I would say that our turnover rate is very reasonable considering the industry. And uh, we're working really hard to keep it that way. Yeah, I think the key challenge that we tend to face is not necessarily holding on to the talent that we have, but finding the talent. This is a particularly challenging area because, and Janet's heard me say this a ton of times, that we can only pay so much. We can only pay for talent, you know, so much too. So as a government, we're forced to compete with private industry. And around here, cybersecurity is a really competitive field. And then I think we, we also, I mean, when you, when you think about cybersecurity, you don't necessarily think about HHS, right? You think about DHS and NSA and CIA, FBI. Right. All the all the cool three letter agencies. So we have to really help people understand how great a mission this is, and that as we were talking earlier, your healthcare information is really foundational, really, really personal. And so getting folks to really understand that they're a part of this mission to protect not only one in three Americans' health information, but their own. But that's not obvious, right? So we really have to to go out and pound the pavement and talk to people about what an incredible mission this is. Absolutely. I'm thinking if I were uh, fresh out of college, someone looking to get in the cybersecurity field between helping to protect the data for one in three Americans or you know, ensuring that the legal and regulatory boxes are checked on a new app, I might go for the first one, even if it's not for a full-time career, knowing that I have that on my resume. I help protect this much data. That's a huge way to start your career. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. In your time as a federal IT professional, what trends and evolving threats have you witnessed? And what about trends regarding the solutions to those threats? And do you think those trends are changing? When IT came on the scene to help the business conduct and achieve its mission, it was a very helpful tool. And one of the trends that I've seen over time since then is a trend to modernize. And we in this field have had to continually modernize Mm -hmm. everything that we do based on the advances in technology, the ability that we have now, the compute ability to apply that in multiple situations. With cybersecurity, it was in more of a let's protect and defend mode for a long time. And Recently, as we have accumulated data and improved our compute ability for analytics on that data, we've also seen an advancement in the application of that to automate all kinds of functions. It's also opened the door for cybersecurity hackers to come in in ways that were never there before. So our shift to being more proactive, predictive, looking for the threats and stopping them before they happen has been a major shift. We're looking to move to a posture where we don't have to just sit there and react and defend, but we're able to constantly protect the perimeter, share that information, and respond to it very quickly. IT and cyber and work have all become so integrated now It used to be, oh, that's nice. You know, they do IT stuff over on that big box in the corner. Support a tool in a silo. Right. And it was always separate from the business. Now it is an integrated part of the business. You really don't 
achieve your mission if you don't use IT. And that means there are more threats. That means there are more opportunities to achieve. So what we do is we work to balance those two things. Yeah, two other things kind of come to mind. Cloud, obviously, has been a game changer, mm-hmm. especially in the last 10 years. And I think the initial perception was, so you're moving things to the cloud, you're outsourcing your IT, so you're also outsourcing your security responsibilities, but that's not at all the case. So really, a lot of focus has been on how do you protect assets in the cloud, data in the cloud, what are your responsibilities versus a cloud service provider? So that's been something that I think folks have tried to get their arms around for some time. And I think with FedRAMP program, other things like that, we're making really good headway. The other piece of that is FISMA was thought up and codified in 2002. And it was a very compliance-based thing. And I think Janet mentioned 67 laws, mandates, things that we're responsible for complying with. But I think there's been this evolution over time that you can have a great compliant security program, but that doesn't mean you have a fantastic security program and you're doing everything you should do in a programmatic sense. So I think there has been this evolution over time that compliance is still important. We still have to satisfy the laws and requirements of those laws, but we also have a responsibility to really enable good risk-based decision-making. Risk is not a binary thing, and that's why it's hard because it's subjective. But we can't run a good security program and we can't operate in a secure way without accepting some risk and making really good risk-based decisions. What would you say is a major initiative or challenge in cybersecurity that is not being talked about or perhaps not being talked about enough? I think one thing we should talk more about would be the integration of cyber and our needs as a community through the hiring process and workforce maintenance. We don't talk enough about that impact on the rest of the agency. So for example, to do what we need to do, we rely on the human resource office. We rely on the contracts office. So what we're doing is so pervasive that it's not just one thing. Cybersecurity is in everything. And it affects everything we do. So if our human resources staff doesn't understand the nuances of cybersecurity, that hinders our ability to hire. If our contracts office doesn't understand how cyber and security should be in all of the contracts, not just for us, but for everyone, we rely on them for that. If they have a lack that hurts us. So what we need to do is talk more to each other about these things and how we can raise all the boats by working together. I think in addition to that, too, we do talk a lot about neural networks, about continuous diagnostics and mitigation, about cloud technologies. The thing that I think we still have to focus on in addition to those is basic cyber hygiene. And I don't think we talk about that enough sometimes, because I think if you look at cybersecurity audits across the federal government, you see the same things. But I think everybody knowing what to do, right? I mean, Disney Plus launched last week, and all of a sudden, Mm -hmm. people's passwords and usernames and passwords are getting sold online, mainly because they use the same username and password they use for everything. Mm -hmm. I think there's still a lack of awareness around Mm -hmm. some basic cybersecurity best practices that we need to keep talking about. We need to keep hammering on those types of things. 
cyber hygiene is important. You know, it's easy to chase the new shiny object, whether that's automation, whether that's a new strategy to hire workforce. But when it comes down to making sure everyone understands the basic level, because a lot of cyber attackers will go for that low-hanging fruit, the person who responds to you know, the email saying that they're often a little more violent than, say, you know, your long-lost relative has a million dollars they want to send you. It's more, your cousin has been kidnapped to give us your social security number or to set him free or... You know, but getting down to those basics is... And to that point, I mean, phishing is our number one attack vector, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we is. think that exploitation through phishing is accountable for like 70% of the threats that we realize, right? And I think this is one instance in which we've really had a lot of success. We started an ethical phishing program probably three, four years ago. And our susceptibility rate, the folks that actually click a link in that ethical phishing message is between four and 7% department-wide. And that's a million plus emails that we send out every year. As um, part of our phishing right. program. Right. Not the real one. Sort of a training but, exercise. Yeah. Uh, yes. right, actually, yeah, yeah. Over a million a year. And that percentage has been showing a lot of success. It's even trended downward. It's good to hear. Right. And we've seen numbers, you know, in the private sector that are far greater than that. So I think this is really a case in which government is doing a good job with leading some of these best practices. I know we're almost out of time, but uh, the final question I want to ask is looking toward the future, what are you focusing on next at HHS? And uh, are there any challenges you're preparing for in advance or opportunities that you're keeping in mind that you'd like to share? Well, with cybersecurity, it's hard to be as open as we'd like. (laughs) (laughs) And what we're working to do is put our strategic plan in alignment with the CIO's strategic plan and that of the agency. And those items about cloud, cloud security, emerging technology workforce, and customer service are going to be at the forefront of everything we do. So we want to make sure that, you know, that's the mantra. Everybody knows that. So with cloud, what are we doing about security in the cloud? What about third-party providers? emerging technologies? How do we get the behavioral indicators for cybersecurity on mobile devices? Workforce, getting and keeping great people. And then customer support is an area we've recently started to focus on. We've brought training in. We're going to provide more. But it's really putting yourself in that customer's shoes. And what does that feel like? And what are you doing to change that and make it a better experience? We're really looking at that and possibly some soft skills around what do we know about the related disciplines that we work with. So for example, with human resources, what are the constraints they're under and how can we help make that job easier? With the contracts and acquisitions, How do we ensure that we're really including the right cybersecurity contract language? And how do we make sure people are actually following those things? So we have a little bit more monitoring to do. And I would leave you with a thought. Change your password. (laughs) Always say, change your password. The only thing I I would add to that is I think 
five years ago, we really wouldn't have anticipated some of the threats that we face now because this is a, a continually maturing and evolving threat landscape. And so I think we have to create and we are challenged to create and we are trying to create a flexible and dynamic program that can anticipate the unknown and deal with the unknown. And we need flexible and dynamic people to be able to, to do that as well. So that's really one of the focuses is that flexibility and creating a dynamic program that can field the unknown when it happens, because we're going to see something tomorrow or the next day or a year from now that we wouldn't have anticipated now. Right. Information technology only does what it does because of people. And we are really in machine learning. We're teaching the machine. We have to correct it. So as we move forward, the people that are involved are going to be critical to preparing for the future and the new threats. And in cybersecurity, our success rate, right? How do we know we did a great job? Well, nothing happens, right? <laughs> right? So we do have metrics. We do watch that, but we hope nothing happens. And the reason that's possible is the great people that are focusing on these problems and looking forward. Well, thank you again for your time. Those are all the questions I have. Is there anything that I didn't touch on that you want to cover or I know or probably past our time already. I would just recommend that you change your password. Yes. <laughs> change your password. Yes. <laughs> Cybercast is a production of Government CIO Media and Research. It is hosted by James Mersall and produced by Amy Kluber. It is edited by Resonate Recordings. For more podcasts, head to governmentcio.com slash podcasts. If you're interested in sponsoring a podcast, contact us at sponsor at governmentcio.com.